0: Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts,
1: Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman.
2: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ellen Trackman here to present a very special episode. Unfortunately, no Jen um, co hosting or even in the intro this time, unfortunately, due to scheduling issues. But I was very honored to have four different guests on this episode two couples whose each of their families were forever changed by the result of some DNA tests. Um, and While the story is shocking and something that most people hope would never happen to them, this couple takes, these two couples take an amazing route of really making the best of what they discover. And here we go. Welcome to the podcast and welcome to the Johnsons and the McNeils who share a heartbreaking, but also ultimately inspiring and incredible story. And I'm so thankful to have both Donna Johnson, Vanner Johnson, and Devin McNeil and Kelly McNeil with us today. So our largest group on our podcast to date, but I will start by going around and having each of you introduce yourselves. So Vanner, do you want to start?
0: Yeah, you bet. I'm Vanner Johnson and um, I'm father of the,
2: the,
0: um, my son in question, who we found out later was actually Devin's biological father or biological son.
2: Crazy.
3: Donna, do you want to say hi? Hi, I'm Donna. <laughs> um, I'm the mother of our son. Absolutely. And
2: um, I know there's a lot of characters here of our story. And I, you don't see it that way. But um, so Donna and Vanner are a couple who we'll, we'll talk more about this, but DNA tested and found out that one of their children was not related to who they believed was the father, as in dad who's been raising him. And instead, they found out that someone else was the dad. And that's where we bring us to the other couple that's here with us today. And Devin McNeil, do you want to introduce yourself?
4: Sure. Good morning, uh, Devin McNeil. Happy to be here.
2: Excellent. And Kelly, you're here with us as well. Do you want to say hi?
1: Yep, I'm Devin's wife,
2: Kelly. Excellent. So, so many parts of the story, but as you know, family is complicated. We will sort through all the parts of it. Uh, Vanner, do you want to start by telling the story of kind of what what led to your kind of the formation of your family, and then this huge, um, shocking piece of information that came out?
0: Yeah, yeah, you bet. Um, the the actual story starts out along. Time ago in 2006, when we found out their issues, we went and did in vitro fertilization through the University of Utah in 2007, had a failed cycle. Donna and I did a failed cycle in uh, September of 2007 and did a frozen cycle that ended up being um, completed in 2007 in December of that year. We had our baby. It was awesome. Um, We raised him. Uh, We noted, noted that he looked a lot like Donna, our first son, we joked, looked Like me. And, uh, but at the same time, my son um, had my blood type. He had my heart murmur. And we thought, well, of course he's mine. Um, Didn't, there was never really any question. I mean, there were the jokes that kind of went around, but just as jokes, we never questioned the fact that he was ours. Then a couple of years ago, just kind of for fun, um, we did a, my, my wife had the idea to do a 23andMe DNA kit test. This is back in 2019, just over two years ago. And, uh, part of that was for some of the, some health issues that I was dealing with. And we had gotten a good, thought it would be a good, fun family activity. So we got together and all of us did the activity. And, uh, as we went and we did the activity, we sent the kids off. We were very excited yeah. and, uh, mine comes back and, um, I get mine first and I am attached to t- because he's a minor. We noticed there were issues. Oh wow. and,
2: and do you mind, where were you when you read this and kind of, did you think this is a mistake or what was what was going through your mind?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So as we, we got these results, um, I got mine back first, Donna hadn't had hers. So I thought there'd got to be a mistake because I'm looking and I'm, I'm not seeing the relation. like, why can't I see my son? Why don't I see relatives mm-hmm. on my son's profile? And I kept switching back and forth. I made them public and I told Donna and at that point we decided to keep it quiet amongst our boys because yeah. they would known that we'd done this test for fun and they were waiting for the results as well. So you just didn't so, tell
2: them. you got the results back
0: we, we decided not to that point yeah. because we just didn't know we did think that maybe it is a mistake and so then donna got her results later and i'll we'll kind of let her fill that in
3: okay so when i got the results i had my oldest son on um, my profile and also I, when i looked at mine it said i had two sons and i thought Okay, yeah, yeah that's of what I expected, <laughs> right? And then when I looked at my oldest, it said he had a half-brother through me. And that's wow. when it really hit, that wow. something went wrong for mm-hmm. Vanner not to be his father. Especially because yes. you
2: already knew Vanner's results at that point.
3: Yeah. So we, we just, it was like, we it's hard to even describe what happened in that moment. We were like, oh my goodness, this Something happened, and we got someone else's sperm in the IVF lab.
2: Wow. And I, my understanding is it took a while to actually find out who was genetically related to your son. What did that, during
3: that time period, what did that journey to f- discover that look like? Well, initially, I don't think we knew what to do with the results. I mean, we just kind of sat on them and were just dumbfounded. So we really didn't look too much into our son, our youngest son's um, paternity right away. We just, yeah. you know, were numb. It, it shocked us so much that we didn't even know what to do. Wow. Did you and reach out to the clinic pretty fast or what were kind of next steps? We reached out to an attorney. Um, We wanted to find out what our family looked like from this, you know, and also to be able to have him reach out to the clinic.
0: Also on that, um, some of the, this is Vanner, some of the, what we were thinking about going through our mind was, what that meant for our son uh, according to how he was born into our marriage and what that meant for him as part of our family yeah and uh the, the attorney that we did go to happened to be a tort attorney but we didn't know who else to turn to honestly because sure. we didn't feel at that point like we could afford a different attorney and we went to an attorney just to find out and it was kind of what we had expected we were getting some answers clear that under utah law that he was deemed ours because he was born within the relationship of the marriage yeah um though you know, some of those questions came up later as we continued our journey.
2: And I'm sure that's a fear, right? That could someone else claim that they have rights to him or, you know, something along those lines.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was a real fear. We we, we had no idea at this point that there, well, we knew there was a Devin out there, but we didn't know Devin. We had no idea who this person was, <laughs> right? where this right. person came from. Yeah. we were we were scared we were and we didn't even dare tell, tell our kids for over a year it took us before we told our son
2: wow. and what did that look like when you finally decided to tell your kids
0: um after a year and it, this was going we'd gone to therapy and we i'd been adamant about holding off till i was 18 and we'd gone mm-hmm. back and forth and donna thought it'd be better to talk to him now and as we talked through it we realized that there's really no best time to talk to him. Mm. Um, all the experts that we'd read talked about in the situations that you have donor sperm and those things used that it's important to start talking to your children when they're like two or three years old.
3: <laughs> Too so late, that wasn't right?
0: An <laughs> yeah. So our our thought was, well, the next best time is right now because one would have been, one would have been but had been a better time. He was almost a teenager, which wasn't awesome uh, for what we're about to tell him. But do we yeah. tell him when he's graduated from high school and trying to find his way in the world? Sure. we thought you know what we just need to tell him so i talked to donna and i asked if she'd be okay if i talked to him separately um, just as his father because we had a close relationship and we still do and she was okay with that
2: yeah and how did that conversation go
0: so what i decided to do is to get him away from any distractions in the house and i know he likes ice cream so i said well, let's go for some <laughs> Who <doesn't>? ice cream <laughs> and so i took him and we're driving in in our car and just driving down the street like normal and all these thoughts are just swimming through my mind. And um, I do have sometimes problems deep recalling the details of the conversation, but I'll do the best I can and just tell you how it failed. As I'm driving down, I bet a million thoughts went through my mind and I just calmly started to talk to him and just basically looked over and said, so you know how your IVF? because we'd never hidden that fact. He's an IVF child and we're good with that. And he's fine with that. There's nothing that's wrong with that. He acknowledged that. And then, Somewhere along the line, I asked, you know, how do you feel that our relationship's been? He's probably wondering what I'm asking mm-hmm. and confirmed that it was awesome. And I just asked yeah. him, you know, how do you feel about how I've treated you in the last year? And uh, he confirmed and I went into actually telling him, well, we found out something interesting. You know how you're in vitro and um, this is how you were created with help of doctors. And we found out that during that process, there was some sort of mix up. And as it turns out, I'm not your biological father. And uh, he no. stares forward and kind of shakes his head in a, like a shock. And he, he jerks it toward me and, and not in a mad way. It was just like a surprise. And he says, really? Huh. And then he keeps talking. And so we talked a little bit about it. And and um, he just expressed his love for me and said, oh. you know, well, I guess I would wonder what I looked like if I had your genes, Dad, which was very tender and special to me at that
2: point. Yeah. Moment. Wow. That's amazing. So when and how did you find out who was genetically connected to your son?
0: At this point, we decided we'd let our son um, steer the conversation and steer the direction of this new adventure. So we talked to him about what we're trying to accomplish, that we're trying to find out at the hospital what happened, that we're trying to decide certain things. And we asked him outright, said, would you have an interest at some point in meeting your biological father. And he was just very clear and very quick. He said, yeah, I I would like that. And so Mm -hmm. I said, okay, well, then we'll start looking for him. And um, we decided to do a different test through Ancestry because it's more Utah-based. And we thought, okay, we didn't find anything really close through 23andMe. Mm -hmm. And so we did that. And he did the kit, and we sent it away. And we got those results back and uh, found what ended up being a really close relation, though, at the time when we saw it initially we thought it was maybe first cousin or something and then we realized it was actually likely an aunt or grandma or you know half sister and our investigation began i got really good at sleuthing people online (laughs) yeah trying to find people
2: all right and then through that search you found his genetic biological father and knew for certain
0: We didn't know for certain, but we had a very good idea because we did find an obituary from from Devin's father that listed all the siblings, and there were two brothers, and we thought, well, it's got to be one of them. So I searched and found Devin's profile. His wife, Kelly, they had a blog spot that was uh, something that they'd had up for a number of years, and in that blog spot think that they had even forgot it was up we yeah. saw that they had done in vitro at some point at that point we didn't know the exact date yeah but when I looked at the boy that was pictured in that blog spot from that time I thought that's oh. really close to the age yeah and at that point we paused because we knew we likely found him
2: and how did that go to try to reach out <laughs>
0: <laughs> um it was it was weird donna and i went you know we we get anxious sometimes anyway and we just went through all these thoughts yeah. and we went through and i we we signed up for just a simple white pages service so we could do searches on phone numbers and people and we found what was like devin's phone number and sat on it for two weeks like Ugh. are we gonna do this yes. are we gonna do this and one saturday i feel nervous turn, just thinking up. about
1: it
0: yeah And we almost overthought it but then when we had decided it took us a long time to decide, but once we decided, I was I was set on calling Devin. So I called him twice on a Saturday, didn't leave a message because I didn't want to at that point. <laughs> Held on to it for the weekend and called on a Monday morning and expected to leave a message. I really didn't think Devin would answer. And he answered.
2: Devin, do you want to pick that up? Yeah. Do you want to share what that conversation or that surprise call was like? Sure.
4: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's really not a call that um, you'd expect, or uh, nor did I even believe at first. Yeah. So, like Vanner said, I had had a couple of missed calls, and it didn't. Nothing was alerting about those because most of the calls from solicitors and things I get from that area code because that's uh-huh. my area code, even though we don't live there anymore. Ah, uh, yeah. So I, you know, I don't think anything about it that, you know, Somebody's telling me my car insurance has expired and, (laughs) you know, they just want to renew it. But for some reason that day I decided to answer it either to just say, you know, don't call me anymore or take me off your list or just to see what it is. And Banner said who he was and asked if, uh, you know, if I was who he thought and um, that we may have something in common uh, related to in vitro fertilization from the university of Utah. And if we could set up a time to talk and oh. I was trying to process all those things that he just re- rallied out. Like, okay, I get how somebody can get your name, but how would they know
2: where are you? The, yeah. Those
4: things. So I said, um, you know what? I, I'm busy right now. I'm, I'm getting on a work call. Can we may, maybe call me in an hour? And so he agreed to that and he asked if we'd be willing to FaceTime To maybe diffuse it a little bit and not think that he was, I don't don't know, something sketchy about it. Yeah. Well, that's even, that's weird too. (laughs) So um, I said, well, yeah, just call me in an hour. And I went upstairs and um, talked to my wife, Kelly. And I said, hey, I got a call. It was really weird. This guy said, you know, he wanted to talk to us and it was something about in vitro. And he was wondering if we'd be willing to FaceTime Uh, What do you think? Should I even answer the phone when he calls back? Because it just sounds sketchy to me. Yeah. So we talked for a second. We're like, well, maybe we'll just answer it. And then we'll just cover up the camera so they can't see us, so they don't know anything. And So we decide to answer it. And um, Banner, I think he was in his car. And we just covered up our camera on my phone. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, you know, he kind of recapped the story that they'd done IVF and we, he understands that we had done it all as as well. And, um, there's something that he needs to, to find out. And so he told us the story of doing his, um, DNA testing and what they found out and then proceeded to say that through ancestry, they'd found a close relative. Um, and through Mm -hmm. that relative led them to me and, all of all of these things were you know matching up, so at first it became you know this is this is garbage. I don't know why this guy's calling me. To everything was true, and how would somebody know these things about us? And um, well, the the person on the ancestry profile turned out to be my sister. Oh wow! So that's why the genetic te- the match was so close, um, because it shared so much DNA. And then through like he said, my father's obituary. uh, It showed two related brothers to her, um, one of which didn't meet any of these criteria. And the blog spot they found online was our adoption blog. Oh, wow. Uh, Because after our cycle with our oldest child that luckily was successful, we had two failed cycles, one in Colorado, one back in Utah. And we decided we're not going through that anymore. It's too much of everything, emotional, financial, you know, everything physical. So we're, we're going to go the adoption route and we were happy with that. Went through the whole home study profile classes, um, testing, you know, everything they do, the home study. And just when that profile was going to go live. In fact, I think it did. We had our pass along cards. We set up our blog with pictures and a little story that we're looking to adopt. And then we got pregnant.
2: Uh, cor- congratulations
4: yeah thank Amazing. you so that was our second child but we you know we left the we call, it reached out the adoption agency and we're like hey we're we're pregnant so no need to push and pursue this anymore and left it at that so i guess this uh, blog was still discoverable.
1: Yeah. Um,
4: in fact, I think I've tried to find it and couldn't sense. So Banner, <laughs> Banner displayed some serious um, skills yeah. in his research, but that's why and how they found me because so many things matched. And he even mentioned on this first call that he, he was, you know, 95% sure that I was the biological father at this point. And then after talking to me um, and just more things matching up, he said, mm-hmm. I'm 99% sure But the Um, only way we would truly know is um, if you'd be willing to do a test. And I said, sure. So Mm -hmm. he agreed and he sent a test and I took an ancestry test, sent it in a month or six weeks later, got it back. And sure enough, the the only two matches to me genetically um, were my oldest son and their son. Oh, wow. So this is...
1: This is Kelly. It's, a, it's important to note that we, because people have asked, we did do a DNA ancestry test on our IVF son, mm-hmm. as well as myself, um, because I was doing one, and you know, I I didn't ever question it before to to find out if he was he was biologically ours, <laughs> but yes. it did put some question in my mind right. after getting that phone call, and I um, I think the Johnsons had a little bit of question there too. If if everything was, you know, how much, how much of the mix up really there was. Yes. Um, And one thing I think also it's important to bring up on that first phone call um, because as Vanner was going through the whole spill and in my mind, I was like, no, our IVF son has the same dimple in his chin that my son has. So he's got to be ours. And I, I said that to Vanner you know, he's got the same dimple that Devin does. And Banner said, so does my son. And that's when I was like, Oh, something, something does not feel right here.
2: Wow. And can I ask, what were you feeling when Devin first was like, Hey, I got this call and let's do this con or you were thinking like, okay, let's go ahead and talk to them. What, what were your thoughts during well, that?
1: All of our kids were at school, so I was busy, like, in and out of the house, running errands. And when he came to me, I was and I was about to leave the house to run an errand, and I was said, this is weird, like, too weird. And it totally sounds like a scam, but I'm waiting for this phone call, and I'm going to be here.
4: Yeah. <laughs> so
1: let's, you know, I waited that hour out and sat on the phone call as he covered up um, our our side of the just because we were skeptical that we just didn't, you know, this was 14 years ago sure, and that he must have found something about us, has been stalking us. And there's so many scams out there and he wants the money from us. And, you know, you just, you you just don't believe that this is something that could happen to you.
2: Right. And at what point did you think, okay, this is, this might be real. This is not a scam.
1: Um, I think for me, um, I was still very skeptical even after the first phone call because we kept asking questions and texting. Um, and our, our boys are actually, our IVF boys are actually three months apart. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, how would this be? that Your sperm would be good for three months. Like, how is that? that? That's not, that's not possible. And you know, his answer, which they, she overstimulated so they had to freeze her embryos and get her body healthy before they put those embryos back in where we did um, transfer, you know, five days later. So that's why they were three months apart. So they always had an answer for every question. And then when they started sending us like, here's the profile and all that, you know, the DNA matchup, relative matchups, matchups to our son. And Delvin was like, that's my grandma. That's my sister-in-law. That's my, wow. that's my sister. But it was just like, I think that's when it really hit me. That I right. Was like, like how would this they really, this, this really happened? Yeah.
2: Yes. Wow. And just to be clear, Devin, you never signed, like, I want to be a donor anywhere. And <laughs> Vanna and Donna, you never said, we're, you know, we accept donor sperm along, you know, this IVF process.
4: No no No, yeah the, the only thing we ever consented to was um conception of our own dna um and that's what was understood is um you know my sample and kelly's eggs would that that's it that's the only option out there so we never were asked um and to my knowledge not unknowingly signed anything saying it could be used for any other intents or purposes so yeah, that, that first conversation, in addition to some of the things that have been mentioned, he, he even brought out some, you know, and and I don't think they were questions through his first 11 years of life, but now that there was, these things have been brought to life, they're thinking, man, our boys are really different. And maybe some of these traits come from biological father. So the, the, and they matched up like, you know, um, like the dimple in the chin, um, and then he asked. I remember saying, "Are you tall?" I said, "Yes, I am." And they said, "Well, he's he's actually catching up in height to his older brother." And do or do you did you play a lot of sports? And, you, and I said, "Yeah, I play kind of played everything." And they, I remember him saying, "Well, you know, we like sports. We're not real. We don't really play a lot, but that's all he wants to do. Like he's into statistics and he wants to play. And he likes soccer and he likes basketball and." Um, And so all these things, and, you know, do you have a heart murmur? And I said, actually, I do. And so that didn't raise an alarm because Vanner did as well, but then same blood type, same heart murmur. Um, But genetically, you know, he looked like his mom. So there was no red flags up near not one point in life that would suggest anything otherwise. That's why getting those results was such a shock to them. And then the call to us was obviously a shock as well because, we never thought anything had gone wrong because there was no indication, no communication with the facility since then because our cycle was was successful. And then we ended up moving out of state, um, you know, shortly, a year and a half later. So there was nothing to make us suspect or question that anything had gone wrong. But like Kelly said, everything had an answer. Every question of ours had a legitimate clinical something answer that made sense, um, to the timing. Um, and then when he sent screenshots of their ancestry profile and half of the people in their child's, um, line were relatives of mine, I I recognize, you know, my sister was one, my grandma, I had several nieces and nephews, and then I recognized names of cousins. And so I thought, well, I don't know whatever other evidence you need, other than that, but still took my own test. And then it was, um, the evidence was 100% at that point Wow! because my son and, and their son shared the exact same match percentage wise to me.
2: Wow. And for Devin and Kelly, at what point did you decide to tell your kids about this? And how did you go about that?
1: Uh, um, I'll, this is Kelly. I'll, I'll tell that story because, um, we decided once we got the results back, um, before we told like parents and siblings that we needed to tell our kids. And our kids are, we have two little ones that are six and eight that came, you know, after our 13-year-old uh, naturally by some miracle. <laughs> um, but we decided to sit down and give them the, this is how babies are made. And our oldest was like, are we really doing this right now? Because you know <laughs> he knows, and we we're like, hold on, we're doing this, and we, and then we said, it. and you know, this is Talon knows we're our, our oldest. Um, we, he he knows he's an IVF baby as well. He never hit that, and this is how Talon was made. You know, he was done outside of the outside of the body, and then some mistake happened that day in the at the clinic, and they mixed dad's sperm with someone else and which means you guys have a half brother (laughs) and they were all like just in shock. And, um, I think the other thing I said, I think kids are just a little more resilient Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we see the bigger picture as adults of what it really means. But my eight year old son said, I heard this on a show one time that, um, he's like, and let's see if I can get this right. But he said, um, life doesn't always give you the gifts you want, but the true gift is life itself. And we were all sitting there in shock, like, wow. I need to write that one down and pass that along because kids are just really accepting and and they kind of think it's weird, but kind of cool as well. So we've told we told them back in the beginning, like, this is no, something this isn't a secret because no one did anything wrong. Like mom and dad didn't do anything wrong. Um, the clinic on the other hand is a different story, but um, but we're just keeping this to our family for now because I was we were a little afraid of what was gonna happen at school the next day, what stories were gonna be told.
4: Right. And this is Devin something that kind of going back to that first call that, that it's important because you know when this story reaches somebody that that doesn't know us or hasn't gone through even just infertility in the past they they all have an answer everybody's an expert about this and you know people say dumb things behind their keyboards because they're all experts but something he said and is look i'm not calling because we want something We, we don't expect something we don't we're not looking to um get anything from you and that that not Eased at the situation, but helped me understand that the, at first we thought, what does this guy want? But when he first said, and I had to take him for his word, of course, at first, but he, he's not calling because he wants some financial um, o- obligation to a child that is biologically mine or expects custody. And the, the conversation really turned in, in our first one and subsequent ones is what does the child want? What does he feel is going to be best for him? Does he want to meet me? Does he even want to know who I am? And, and we you know, that's why they searched me out is because he did. And then we'll, we'll get in, I'm sure, shortly as to what happened after those conversations. And we, he did want to meet me. So we were able to coordinate that. And that helped to understand that this isn't going to turn into a custody battle. This isn't going to turn into um, a, a financial situation between these two families uh, and that helped the situation to know that that's, we didn't want something from each other other than whatever was mo- the most beneficial for the boy. Do you tell
2: how that, that meeting was arranged and how that went? So um,
0: Donna, I, I think I'll let you say a little bit about what you did. Cause Donna has been really good with being really, I would say in tune with, with Tim and and thoughts and feelings that he has. And I'll let her kind of talk about, what led up to that meeting?
3: Well, um, I just, we found out that the McNeils would be in town in June. And so, you know, as we text back and forth, we decided what we could do to have this meeting um, facilitated. And so we, I, of course, talked to our son, you know, what would he want to do? What would be um, probably the least intrusive for all of us because it is very, um, I don't know, it was just surreal that we were going to meet someone that was genetically related to my son, a complete stranger, and let him have that opportunity to find out more about himself. So, um, we found a park and we decided, well, okay, we'll bring some games, we'll bring some balls, Um, for them to throw around, kick, play, and we had our son. Um, He wrote down a list of questions that he wanted to know about his biology, and it was really quite cute to see what he cared about. He wanted to know about sports. He wanted to know about height. I believe he wanted to know just some, like, uh, Addy, how tall man. were you at certain times? What was the other question, Banner? in your Outie belly button? <laughs> like <laughs> really funny things. That,
1: My favorite was he wondered how many words per minute he could type. the CV. Oh. <laughs> biologically, because he's really fast.
3: Yeah, their son, not not seven. Yeah, he, he types like almost hundred words a minute <laughs> at, at twelve, and so just lots of. Different questions. And so we made sure that Devin knew those questions beforehand so he wasn't thrown off guard by what any of those would be. And then um, we met. And uh, I'll tell you, that was probably one of the most anxious I have ever felt. Here I am going to meet my son's biological father, and I did not know him other than a few phone calls or text. And that was I can't, indescribable To And, but once we met, it was, we all embraced. Um, and it was just amazing that you could feel that love and connection um, through biology.
0: Yeah. To be able to sense the love that Devin had for a complete stranger it was it was a a kind of love that is just a great concern for the well-being of a little child and uh, even knowing that was his child then you know that's part of it but that's just it it was indescribable actually and as awkward as it was at points it wasn't really awkward it was just like when you thought about it you thought what are we doing what what is this is crazy and it just it was awesome because it felt right it felt good watching the kids play it felt right talking to the mcneils but we, we both talked about how awkward we felt about pulling out our cameras and taking any pictures of this because we just didn't know what the other would think or what that would look like or what that would do to the kids. All these crazy questions and thoughts running through your head.
2: Did you take pictures?
0: Uh, um, Yeah, kind of. We did. At and the we, very we, end. <laughs> at the very end, we became brave enough to say, hey, let's get a few pictures. And one of the cutest things was I wanted to get, to, uh, get a chance to get it picture with his biological father. So I said, Hey, our our son, I'm going to get our son a chance to get pictures with his biological father. And I said, Hey, would you like to get a picture with your biological father? And he looks at me and he looks at them and he goes, how about both dads? And, you know, that's, it's the simple things like that that make you just tear up and think this kid understands, but at the same time, it's just well beyond his years.
2: Wow.
3: And later that night, we asked how he felt, what was going through his mind. And he was like, I have three more siblings. And we were like, oh, whoa. Oh, no. And he said, and we said, well, they're your half siblings. He said, technically, my older brother is my half sibling. Mm -hmm. And we were like, you're right. And, And we just didn't have words for that because he felt it. He felt that connection. He, it. It was indescribable.
1: They were really cute together. He was pushing him on the swings and, you know, they went and played sports uh, together and played on the playground. And he was really, he was really cute. Too. It was cute to see,
2: to see them bond. Those, that sounds like a beautiful meeting How, since that time, how have things continued? Are you guys regularly keeping in touch? Are you visiting each other? What's that looking like?
0: We're playing it by ear. We're writing this chapter, I think. There's nothing or nobody that can tell us what to do. And (laughs) we are keeping in touch as far as letting (laughs) questions as he has them. Um, And the McNills have been very open with that. and. Now, with the story being told between the both of us, we actually have a group text going with the four of us. And it's a lot of chatter pretty much every day about just some crazy things and and, um, even, you know, some little joking back and forth, even about the situation. Um, It's been good.
2: I mean, how how grateful are you that Devin and Kelly didn't end up being like terrible people? (laughs) Beyond
3: grateful.
0: (laughs) Oh, and I I joke now, but I think that some people ask me, you know, what what possessed you to do that? And I I think that sometimes I think you know it, it was like a divine naivety almost, where where just for the few moments, because as I thought about it later, it's true. Devin could have been some complete different person. I think it helped that I found their website and I saw them as a family and I, I just felt like I got a good vibe and I just thought they seemed like really good people and that probably affected my decision to reach out. But ultimately, you know, I knew I, I'd i been through for t- almost two years the thought about, well, Devin never signed away any rights, you know, and so what if, what if, what if going through my mind, but at the same time, I knew it had to be done.
2: Yeah. So you guys are out there sharing your story with the world. What are the messages that you think are important for people to take away from this?
0: Well, there's a for me, there's a couple things. Um, I, I still am um, flabbergasted when I think about when we brought this forward, that we had a baby that was created, two pieces of human gamut were put together that the doctors can't tell us when they put them together and that they didn't know what they were putting together and it happened to be somebody that didn't sign away rights didn't do all this stuff yeah. throwing this at us in a, in what could have been a huge mess and then telling us basically to work it out
2: And between, have, have they given you have they given you any explanation of how this could have happened or what they say about it
0: um no not so far i i always say well two couples went in two babies came out But one baby's not like the other, and there's really no way to explain it except something happened, and nobody can tell us what that was.
3: And along those lines, when we looked at our timeline, um, the egg retrieval and fertilization happened five days apart for Kelly's eggs to be fertilized with Devon's sperm, and my eggs five days later were fertilized with Devon's sperm. And so that just blows our mind that five days later, that is what happened. And there, there wasn't any, I guess, safeguards. I don't know, safeguards that that Something. wouldn't have happened.
2: So you weren't even in the clinic the exact same day. It was five days apart that it was happening. Yeah. Well,
0: not for the egg retrieval and the fertilization that
2: no. they okay. were each five days apart. But the then you were in the we clinic did... for different procedures.
3: Yeah, the the only, we did mm-hmm. discover we were in the clinic the same day, but it was because Kelly was then having her embryos that were already created five days earlier, implanted. And that was the day my eggs were being retrieved to be fertilized. So the, so the big, yeah. But, yeah, the the big question is, how
1: did that sperm last for five days? Because they used it five days earlier with mine, and then five days later with hers. So... That, that
2: is a, a big question in my mind. And were they were you agreeing to cryopreserve sperm? Was that part of it? That it would be cryopreserved in
1: Not that I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: Oh. No. Yeah. Same thing. I, we don't. They that was never verbally discussed with us because what they do is after fertilization, you really just wait. Um, you know, and it feels like an eternity, but they wait mm. three to five days to see if it takes and if it divides and if it starts to grow and then how many and which ones are of quality. And then you say, okay, we have two that look like they're, you know, viable. We can implant one, two, how many do you want? Um, so there was never anything like, well, what if this doesn't work? Then we have this backup. Um, that never, that never occurred. So the the crossover and Mm -hmm. the timelines really, yeah, leaves a lot to be questioned. Um, cause we've, and other experts say, look, that that's not likely that anything is viable for that long. Um, especially outside of an, a, a specific environment. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of questions on, was yeah. it, um, you know, some people you tell the story to and they, they immediately think it's intentional and we're not saying it is or isn't cause we don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, or it was just a mistake, or it was cross-contamination, or poor practice, or poor policy, or mislabeling, or something. But we'd love to know. And unfortunately, I don't think we ever will, because records from 14 years ago are slim and none. We've requested medical records. I'm sure. And the only thing provided to our attorney for our side was policy procedures and things and conversations and visits we'd done up until IVF. So which is not helpful oh. for the situation, you know. But
1: there's this no doctor records wrote down
4: Oh, IVF? Kelly came in for this appointment, we did this, and this was the consult, and this is our next approach. But all of it was all the records they provided were only were very little and it was only up until the IVF process. So they haven't provided anything that we've asked, and most of the communication, actually all of the communication is done through attorneys now. So we have not spoken to them in person once other than the call to request um, records
1: which which i never got we had to get those through, through the attorney yeah and then when we got them back they were everything up until our IVF procedure so
4: we yeah strange a little oh, weird. yeah which makes you wonder yeah it makes us wonder look that maybe they're just not available because the the t- period you know do you have to keep them seven years or eight years and they just dispose of it everything was not quite as digital back then but i think they have them and now that there's questions to the 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 situation and the case and the that they're not providing them with, and I don't know if that's the case, but I feel like they're not providing them intentionally. Uh, hopefully, I'm wrong, but I don't. We don't know. And,
3: and our records are about the same. We have just before we have a cup only four pages for me, and it was all before the IVF in question. And then they do have a few pages on Vanner's procedure to retrieve the sperm. He had to do a testicular biopsy. And we do have record of that day and that what happened there.
0: One thing, too, and I think this has been made clear, but I want to make sure that it is, is because we can't be told or we, we aren't told or they don't know what happened, our mind does speculate in all sorts of directions. But at the end of the day we do acknowledge that we don't know we truly don't know and uh, and that really is kind of a hard and sad thing still
2: yeah what would you what do you say to someone who's thinking about doing a dna test do you have regrets that you might have never known or for a much longer not known or do you do you advise take them early and often
0: for for me the i would say regrets are it's a small piece of this i think there's been moments of regrets just in the back and forth when things have been difficult versus other times but overall no there are no regrets i think that in today's age at some point it would have come out and if it didn't come out as the result of my wife and my test um heaven forbid it came out because of the result of our son's test and he thought that we'd get it from him um you know something like that My my um, advice is just to go into it wearingly. I just understand that I, I hope it's not likely that you find something crazy, but you might. And if you do, are you ready for the implications or the, the thoughts and feelings that might hit you? You may not be. And and that's hard to say whether you will be, but I, I have no regrets that we did it.
2: I've heard of some tests having warning labels now that, you know, this. This can provide some information that may be emotionally or otherwise challenging.
3: Oh, that it had that on our. Oh, this is Donna. Did, is it, did it? it did say you will. You may find some things that would be emotionally distressing. and We're like, oh no, it wouldn't. We, <laughs> you know, we're like, no way. We know our our sons are our sons. We're just looking at what traits and right. um, medical things each of our each of us have, um, inherited. We, we won't be distressed if we have Irish background, right? (laughs) No, no, there's no distress in that. And, and so, yeah, it was, and in fact, it's almost taken this whole time to even look at the results for what we were intention, what we intended to do at first. Now, Mm -hmm. finally, we can look and say, oh, that's what we are looking at these traits, or if we had this, um, gene, you know, from, you know, just different um, medical things that we had inherited. And we're finally looking at that after two years because it was so shocking.
2: Yeah. Well, I hope there aren't too many others in this situation as you are, but for anyone who does find themselves in a similar situation, do you have any words of advice from all you've been through so far?
1: I think for me, if I were to go back and, and go through IVF again, um, I would have asked more questions. Um, you know, you just put so much of your trust in the medical community that they're going to do what they say they're going to do. And I would have asked, you know, more about the lab and do you only have one um, DNA sample in the lab at the, at the time? And how can you, how do you ensure that these, what are your protocols? You know, those, those types of questions. Which we they may, may have simply gone over, but I think I would have asked more details because I I don't know what their protocols are, and I don't know um, if I knew what the protocols are, I could maybe like know what how this could have happened. But I really just in in awe because you put so much trust in in the doctors that you're paying so much money to 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 help you help you get a baby no matter what it takes and then for something to yeah. go wrong.
4: And, and this is Devin. I think that when you even begin that process, emotions are so high and there's so much angst and anxiety f- due to the fact that you're not able to conceive and you know, having children is not for everybody, but the people that are willing to go through infertility treatments and even through IVF it obviously is a huge desire um, for them that they're willing to go through that process. So you go in, you know, emotionally on edge and then you trust these um, these institutions that they will do their best to make it work. And, you know, looking back, we, we went to three different places and I would say the one that this is related to seemed the most reputable and the highest quality and the, you know, you just got the feel. But then we went to two that I would look back and like, well, I, I don't know. That wasn't that great of a place. Um, so, yeah, ask questions. Um, make sure that, you know, that they you feel comfortable there. And if you don't, you, you don't have to you don't have to commit to anybody. Um, and and then afterwards, you know, to the, the question, the point of doing any type of testing, I, I think for, you know. A monogamous couple, you have no worries or questions. What's going to come out, unless one, someone's hiding something. But to the the community where we're bringing in a third party, which is uh, the medical field, the chances aren't high based on statistics. But there is a chance that something happened, and this is evident to the cases around the world. But be prepared for the results. Um, You know, I've talked to people and even know, to siblings and I've had one say, I wouldn't take the test because I don't want to know those things, because it'll flip your life upside down and think you're happy and everything was fine before that. And you know, it'll work out in the end. But I've had others say, you know, I I would absolutely want to know because I think this is important and for their own personal reasons. So if you're gonna do it, go unprepared. And I don't know that there's a right or wrong way to handle it, other than the way that we're handling it is um, try and be mature about it focus on the important thing and that's the kids um, what's going to be good for them don't turn it into something that they can't handle as they get older and feel like they're stuck in the middle of this legal clinical you know and family battles that they didn't ask for call for or deserve so they the Johnsons love their children and that's what's important and the, he is their child Um. I, you know, the clinic made a mix up and it was his ticket to earth, but that that's in, in my book, that's where I end. Um, if he wants a relationship with me, I'm happy and open to that, but he is loved in their home. He is cared for in their home. He, his needs are met. He's happy. He's healthy, which is important. So if you can't deal with it, And provide the child and your other children with the life that they deserve, then uh, don't tackle this in your life because it's hard on the other kids. I know that their older child, this is something that I I don't want him to get pushed into a corner and felt like he's just, you know, observing this film. And I know that they're open to him and they communicate with him and they want to make sure that his needs are met as well. But you can see the instability in so many homes and families where this would shake them to a place that they would never recover. So hopefully we can deal this with faithfully and as adults and communicate openly. We have we talk right now every day and we share pictures. Um, Their wives are friends on Facebook and we've come to know of uh, um, common friends. And so you can deal with it right. Or at least what you think is right, or you could handle it poorly, and I don't want anybody to have to go through that.
2: I think those are very wise words, and amazing how you guys have all approached this. One more thing I wanted to ask: I know everyone has um, is contemplating or pending legal action involving the clinic. What do you hope to? What kind of outcome do you hope from that? I know and there's
0: no way to reverse time, right? No, th- and that's right. One of the challenges that we dealt with right away, and it's be- part of the reason why it took us so long, number one, to talk to our son, and number two, to, to um, go forward in a manner that we have, is separating what we love about our son. And we've told our son, we would not change a thing about you. We love your DNA and everything as you are, and we wouldn't change that. And the dichotomy of our thoughts are that we want to, the issue to be resolved. In our case, we are dealing with what we, what we were handed and we love what we handed, what we have been handed. I there, I can get angry at the university and I do get angry at the university. At the end of the day, all the anger that I can throw that way ends with, but thank you for giving me something I love so much. Um, but the, the feelings are such that this stuff can't happen. And it needs to people need to be aware that it does happen i mean we're putting human gamut together and we're allowing it and we do allow and it's a miracle but we're allowing it in such a way that they can't tell us what two pieces of human gamut they put together that's unthinkable in my book that's I, I it's unbelievable that that none of these things were signed away no rights were signed away why do we have donor forms if you ever gone over one of those donor forms they are terrible. And you're signing this thing. Well, if it doesn't matter, why do we have these forms to sign? And it should be one of those never happens.
2: Yeah. So really the hope is that to send a message that this can't happen and that clinics need to do whatever it takes to prevent these, these mix ups.
0: We, we have to, what they've tried to do is they tried to fix it on the back end. And, you know, once that ditto's done, you can't, it can't be undid. And, uh, that's part of the issue is we have to make it expensive too expensive so that people have to look at the process for creating this because as hard as it, hard as it is for a doctor or for people on the front side I promise you the emotions and things that you go through are extremely greatly more harmful and, and hard than what you deal with before the legislature is trying to fix after why aren't we looking at fixing before
2: yeah well I think your story is so shocking and beautiful at the same time. Is there anything else you'd like to share for any of you before we before we end?
4: No, we appreciate the various platforms to share the story and hopefully it sheds light and you know and, and, and if changes need to be made, then they should be made. Um, and if not then we'll keep we'll keep doing our thing and we'll be happy with or without the changes.
0: Yeah, we'll make it work. And that's part of the that is part of the end message. And perhaps a really good end to the message is we've chosen to make it work. And we've chosen to make it work for the kids sake, for all of our children's sake. And uh, that not everybody can do that. Not everybody has been able to do that. But we're trying hard to make it work for them.
2: Absolutely. Well, thank you all for joining us. Thank you to the Johnsons and the McNeils for taking the time to share your story. We so appreciate it. And to our listeners, we appreciate you continuing to be a part of others' journeys and to listen. And when you have the time to leave reviews, to um, put the number of stars in, and to give us feedback by email or call, you can always reach us at 303-997-1903. Again, you can leave a message at 303 303- 997 9971903 but thank you for listening and thank you for all the feedback you provide.